is that it destroys the motivation of all the other people. The performance of the people on your team goes through the roof when they mm -hmm. know that you're serious about hiring people that are ideal team players. And when you tolerate people that aren't, you look at that person and you go, well, look at her output or his output. And you go, yeah, but what is it doing to everyone else's? Mm, that's exactly right. And there's nothing, I love the cut the crap name, there's nothing <laughs> touchy-feely about this. Let's cut the crap. This is what makes an organization get more done in less time and want people to work there and be happy and really have high productivity. Absolutely. This is what it does. When they know that they're going to be rewarded for the right behaviors and organizations that think it's not about culture, it's about numbers. <laughs> Morale goes down, productivity goes down, and they cannot sustain high performance. They just can't. Man, oh man, it's been a long two weeks, but I am back. What is going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining yours truly, Ryan Caligiuri, on this week's episode of Cut the Crap Podcast, where every single week, I'm reading a book, condensing that book down its core golden nuggets. I'm bringing the author on the show to have a conversation about the golden nuggets. And you know what I'm doing here every single week. It's trying to save you a little bit of time and bring you some information that can spark real change in your life. Took a couple weeks off. Man, did I miss all of you. I love doing this show so much, but I took some time off because I got something else I'm working on here. As I told you all, I'm working on a second project, a second podcast slash uh, video project, and I'm going to be launching that very shortly. And it's just in response to what I'm seeing today, in response to the feedback that I've received off the podcast. I'm not stopping Cut the Crap Podcast. I'm going to keep doing this, but I need to start something else. So I'm going to get two shows going here at once, and I think that all of you are really going to love it. As I send out these surveys to all of you, you all give me back great feedback, and you tell me what you love, what you don't like. And the next evolution of what I'm bringing to the marketplace is something I'm really excited about and something I believe is going to help a lot of people. So you just got to stay tuned for that one. I'll be bringing that to you all very shortly. I'm probably looking at maybe a early 2019 launch, probably January-ish time frame. And uh, that'll mark its three-year anniversary for Cut the Crap Podcast. So we'll kick off a brand new podcast at the same time. So anyways, I will keep you all posted as that comes out and as I develop it. And the past two weeks, I've been kind of playing around with it, trying to get it going and and uh, essentially doing some filming, doing some recording, doing some testing. Took up a whole bunch of time, a whole bunch of effort. But I'm glad I did it because, again, like I said, very, very exciting. But that is not why you tuned in today. You tuned in today because you want the golden nuggets for a book that I picked out. I'm telling you, we got a doozy. We got friend of the show, Patrick Lencioni. He's back talking about his book, The Ideal Team Player. How to recognize and cultivate the three essential virtues. Now, we all remember Pat Lencioni on the first episode. We had him talking about uh, the five dysfunctions of a team. Fantastic episode. I can see through the downloads that it's one of the most popular episodes that we've had on the Cut the Crap podcast. So I know that if you enjoyed that one in particular, you are really going to love this one. So without further ado, let's crack right into this one. This is Pat Lencioni's The Ideal Team Player. I will catch you back here at the end of the episode. Enjoy. Pat, how you doing, my friend? Good. It's great to be back with you. Hey, man. Great to have you back on the show. So again, last time for people who are listening, everyone out there in Cut the Crap Podcast Nation, if you haven't tuned in to the first episode that we had with Pat, we had Pat on talking about the five dysfunctions of a team. If you haven't listened to that one, Go back over and listen to that one because it plays very well with this episode. So again, Pat, you need no introduction. We've introduced you before. So actually, why don't we crack right into this one by asking you first and foremost why you felt it was important to write this book, The Ideal Team Player, and why it works so well with five dysfunctions. You know, what's interesting is the five dysfunctions I wrote, I think, 16, 17 years ago now. Yeah. And after I wrote it, people would say, Hey, are some people better at being a team member than others? Mm. And we would, I, I was so busy in my life at the time, and, I, and I, I didn't slow down to think about it. I thought, you know, I think anybody can do it with the right amount of coaching. And then it wasn't for a few years that went by that we started to realize that there were, the, that our company's core values, all the companies we worked with wanted to adopt them. Hmm. And they were like, we want your core values. And we're like, no, you've got to come up with your own, you know, to make it. And they said, yeah, but we like yours. And one day it dawned on us. We said, these are the three things that if a person has them, this is what makes for an ideal team player. And it, it became obvious to us that that's why we chose them. And that's because our company is all about teamwork. Mm -hmm. And so, and we talked to people and they said, you're right. If you have these three qualities, 
you are you're going to slide right in and be a great team player. And if you're missing any of them in an, in a in a very real way, you're not going to make it on a team. No kidding. And so it was an accidental process. Hmm. So essentially it is the sequel to the five dysfunctions of a team, literally because the main character in it was in the five dysfunctions that right. picks up with him, but is a sequel written 15 years later. No kidding. Awesome. And you know, we're yeah. kind of kind of putting the teaser out there for everybody. So why don't we kick right into it with golden nugget number one, the three virtues of ideal team players. So again, to hire great team players, managers, you have to evaluate prospective hires who have the three virtues of an ideal team player. So obviously with the base of effective teamwork that we discussed in five dysfunctions of a team, lead us through each of those three virtues and why each of them are so important to becoming an ideal team player. No problem. You know, the first thing I want to say though is each of them on its own is not very impressive or like it's not going to be right. something that people are going to say, wow, I hadn't thought of that. Right. In fact, they're going to seem so obvious, which is why I think people have responded to this book because they're like, that makes sense. Mm. But it's the combination of the three that's so powerful. Right. So when I talk about each one, nobody's going to say, gee, I never thought of that. The first one and the most important one is humility. Mm. An ideal team player is humble. And and that means they're not about themselves. They're not about attention and credit for themselves. They're about others. They're about sharing credit. They're about deferring to the team mm -hmm. and to the greater good of the collective. Now, that seems very obvious. So basically an arrogant, selfish, needy person is not a great team player. And people would say, yeah, that's true. One thing I want to say about this, though, is that there is another kind of person that's not humble but we often mistake with humility, and that's a person that lacks confidence and doesn't stand up for themselves or their uh, ideas, right. or doesn't really acknowledge their strengths. This is a person that would be not fake, but, but, but not really modest, really just lacking in self-confidence. And mm -hmm. people would say, wow, that's a humble person. They never demand their way. They never stand up and say, hey, I think my idea is right. But that is actually a violation of humility, hmm. because humility is, C.S. Lewis once said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking about yourself less. Oh, wow. And I think that's powerful because, because the, the, the most egregious and obvious violation of humility is the arrogant person, no doubt. Of course. But, but we have to be careful. A person who's not capable of acknowledging their strengths and their gifts mm -hmm. and who's not capable of, of you know, advocating for a point of view that they believe is right, that is another violation of humility. So what we're looking for is people who don't need to brag, don't need attention, mm -hmm. but know who they are, what they're good at, and mm. when they have a great idea. I think that's an important distinction. So that's the first one. Yeah, and that's an important distinction because we just sometimes look at humble people as people who are maybe quiet, and that's not necessarily what humility is about. So I'm really glad that you made that distinction for people out there who understand that that when you're coming at it from a humble perspective, there's really two things. People who are arrogant, um, you know, these employees who are team killers, but at the same time, you know, you don't have to be pompous or stuck up. It's just the reverse and you could lack total self-confidence. And, you know, before yeah. reading the book, I didn't actually understand that. And that's why it was really important to understand that because based on how I maybe interpret human nature, I kind of interpreted the person who sort of sits back in the meeting room and doesn't want to debate or doesn't engage in debate, but I know they're really smart. I looked at them as maybe being humble. But in fact, that's not right. true. So I'm really glad you made the distinction yeah. for everyone out there. So and remember, this is all in the context of a team. Correct, yes. If they're really concerned about the team, they have to use their skills. They have to advocate what they believe. That's right. They might be a good neighbor by being demure all the time or a nice person. But if you're on a team, humility has to you, – you, you can't hold that back. The second – the second quality or virtue, as we call it, because it's, there's something moral and good about this, of a, of a team player is hunger. Mm. And that is a hungry person is one who just doesn't easily, isn't easily satisfied, doesn't do the minimum, doesn't have to be asked to do more. They're, they're looking to do more, and they have very high standards and a strong work ethic. Mm. Now, this is probably the, the most straightforward one to describe, a hungry person. Um, but the interesting thing is I found that it's the hardest one to teach somebody later in life, hmm. I think. There are certain people that, that have grown up without a work ethic, and it's hard later in life to spark that in them. Um, and so it's pretty straightforward, though. Now, this is not a workaholic, though. Hmm. Work, a workaholic is somebody whose identity is tied up in their job alone. What this is, is a person who just has really high standards, likes to get things done, and really wants to do things excellently. Um, but, they, but they know who they are, and they, that doesn't mean that's their whole identity. 
So hunger is the second one. You have to be humble. You have to be hungry. And then the last one is smart. Mm. But it's not intellectually smart. It's not intelligence necessarily. It's smart about people. Some people would call this emotional intelligence. I think my definition is a little simpler than that. And that's just, you know how your words and actions affect others. And you can read the room and know where people are. and, and, And you're just good about understanding human beings. If, you, if you're intelligent, but you don't understand people, it's much better to have somebody who understands people that might lack some intelligence. You can learn things, mm. and, you can, and you can mitigate that. But if a person is, is not bright about other people, it can really hurt a team. Absolutely. And we're starting to realize that this idea of people smarts, uh, emotional intelligence, whatever you want to call it, is becoming even more important today as people are talking about AI and what have you. And that these things of that, these roles that people can replace, this intelligence, this data, you can't replace people smarts. You can't replace this emotional intelligence and how important that is on the job, this idea of EQ, some people are even calling it. Um, And having all three of these pieces play well together is what makes up the ideal team player. Humility. And you know what's interesting? Ask somebody, to to show you how important it is, ask somebody if they said, hey, you have a child, a young child. They could grow up to be a genius without EQ Mm. or have great EQ but not be as smart. Most people that are in life would go, oh gosh, if they don't have EQ, (laughs) it's going to be tough for them to be a good parent, a good spouse, a good friend, a good coworker. We know this. And then we go into education, we, we emphasize all the other stuff because mm-hmm. it's easier to measure, I think. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. Completely agree. So again, that's humility, hungry, and people smarts. It's going to become really important as we go into it with the next golden nugget. So golden nugget number two, the ideal team player model. So to fill your workforce with ideal team players, as a manager, you need to seek employees with all of the three core team player virtues, as you've already alluded to earlier. But the challenge here is that employees who lack them, well, they're just going to be, for lack of a better word, terrible team members. But those who have only one of the three values, they're going to find it very difficult to perform as a useful team member. And even people who have two of the three characteristics, they can become valued members of the team, but it's going to take a lot of hard work. So this idea of having these two pieces is is really uh, important for us to understand. So lead us through each of the three scenarios. The first one being hungry, right. hungry and smart, but not humble. The second being humble and smart, but not hungry. The third, humble and hungry, but not smart. So kick us off with the first right. one. Yeah, well, actually, I, what I like to start with, I like to do them in the, in the reverse order of danger, if that's mm, okay. Absolutely, like yeah. The one I like to talk about first is a person who's got the two most important ones, which is humble and hungry, mm. but they're not smart. Now, I will tell you, if I had to pick a person and I could pick an employee or a teammate that was humble and hungry but not smart, I'm okay with that. We call this person, I mean, this is, I'm okay with that relative to the others. Right. This is what I would call the accidental mess maker. Right. It, because they work hard and they're not egocentric, but they just aren't very smart about people. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to kind of ruffle feathers and, and, and knock things over and frustrate people sometimes. But they'll come back and they'll apologize. They don't mean it poorly. They have good intentions. And so basically, as a manager, I just have to clean up after that person a lot and kind of coach them and, and remind people that they mean well. And it, it creates more work for me. Mm, that's right. But at least I know that they're, they're well-intentioned. Hmm. So... They create a mess. You have to, it's like a puppy almost. You know what I mean? They're darn cute and they, they mean well, but you do have to clean up after them. That's right. But I, I will take that over the next two. Mm-hmm. The next one, which is even still less dangerous than the last one by far, is somebody who is humble, so they're not egocentric, and they're smart. They're really good at understanding and working with people, but they're not hungry. Mm. This we call the lovable slacker. Right. The lovable slacker is the person who is wonderful to be around. They, they call attention on others. They, they really they care about the people they work with. They just don't really want to do a lot of work. <laughs> they, they, they do just enough, and they leave. They never go above and beyond. They're not looking to how to dive in to help in other people's areas because they're just not that interested in working hard. They do just enough, if that. Now, the challenge of the lovable slacker is that they're lovable, so we tolerate them a lot longer right. <laughs> when we shouldn't. And I've done this before in my life where I've employed people that were lovable slackers. Hmm. And because I cared about them and because they were really emotionally intelligent, mm-hmm. they knew how to apologize well and tell me they were going to work harder going forward. And yeah. I think they actually meant it. Mm-hmm. But 
over time, it became very apparent they weren't going to get uh, better. That's tough. And it's tough to have the courage yeah. to, to let them go. Of course, yeah. But, the, but you need to do it because even though they're well-liked by their peers, they lower the standards of their peers by not working as hard and by putting more work on others. It's a tough reality to deal with. And as a manager, you got to imagine, I mean, Cut the Crap Podcast Nation, you're out there right now and you might know people on your team right now. I know we got to go through the third one still, but humble and hungry, but not smart, humble and smart, but not hungry. You probably have people like that on your team, maybe. And especially this last one, the lovable slacker, it's tough because it's exactly what they are. You love them. They're great people. But the problem is they might be pulling the standards of the organization down and you have to be very wary of that. And that's where, you know, that's why they pay you the big bucks. That's why it's difficult to be a manager sometimes is being able to recognize these things and have to deal with them in order to benefit the greater good for the team. It is difficult, but, you know, it's it's important that we're talking about this, Pat, because I believe that there's probably people out there right now who know this about people. They say, I, I got to let them go, but, yeah. man, they're just good people. It's tough. It's very right. tough. And, le- and letting them go will actually – some people may be bummed at you for a while when you do it because for they sure. really liked them. Even deep down inside, they know, like, yeah, they probably shouldn't be here, but I can't believe you actually let them go. <laughs> yeah. But eventually people will say you did the right thing because it raised the standards and it, re- and it rewards the hard workers to say, listen, I'm going to hold people to a standard of hard work. That's right. That's right. So, but it's, it's not pleasant in the meantime. Now, the last one, the last one <laughs> is the most difficult. They're, they're, it's a killer, and, they're the, and it's the hardest one to, do, to, to see. <laughs> and this is somebody who is really hungry. They work hard. They're ambitious. And they're smart. They really do understand how to deal with people and how to read people and know how to say and, and do things and to, to get the desired effect. But they're not humble. Mm-hmm. They really are self-centered. The problem is because they're smart, they know how to hide that self-centeredness. Mm-hmm. And they know how to pretend and they go to meetings and, and play the game well. So you don't really realize that they're, they're egocentric and selfish until by the time you do... They've, the, the damage has often been done, and there's a lot of dead bodies behind them. Yeah, that's a tough one. And, yes. I'll tell you a story. You're, you're a Canadian friend of mine, so <laughs> this is funny. So I worked with an executive team in the U.S., and they had a member on the team who was Canada. Now, no one in America thinks a Canadian would ever be the skillful politician. Like they, right. you know, We just have this <laughs> stereotype. It's a positive one, but it's a stereotype nonetheless mm-hmm. of Canadians as, as being always, hey, everything's great. I'm very <laughs> positive and very upfront with you about everything. Yeah. But, of course, we know no no culture is, is like that all the time, this but that's true. our stereotype. Yeah. So this guy was Canadian, and he, he knew, how, man, he seemed like the ideal team player. He was always saying good things about people and working hard, and, 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 uh, and he seemed like he was humble. But every time he was engineering these changes in the organization, other people were dying, and he was coming out smelling like a rose. Mm. He was making more money. He was getting rid of his colleagues that, that threatened him. And, and by the time we realized, oh, my gosh, <laughs> this guy is a skillful politician, he had already done quite a bit of damage. What a jerk. I what would, a jerk. I would prefer – yeah, exactly. <laughs> Typical Canadian. Right. <laughs> I would prefer somebody who was transparently egotistical mm. to somebody – who, who hit it well. That's right. Because then they really betray the trust of others. Mm, absolutely. So we cannot hire people that are skillful politicians, and we cannot abide them in our when we realize they are. And it's tough because sometimes these people who are seen as skillful politicians – Man, they're good at what they do, though. Like, they are very good at what they do. They have connections. You look at them and you say, man, they can really help our organization move forward. Yep. Yes, but at what costs? At what costs? Your culture? Without culture, what do you have? And so for people out there who are really, I don't know, captivated and they, they want that person on their team, you need to think down the line, right? You have to look down the line and say, well, what's the potential impacts of having this person on staff? Who am I going to upset? You know, how is this going to impact the culture in the long term? Is this going to help our business or is it going to hurt our business? You have to be honest with yourself yeah. about that. And you know something? I a story. I think a story, stories are powerful. I Absolutely. did something years ago before I started my company. I worked in another one. And, and my values were similar to what they are now, you know. And I had this woman on my team and – she worked hard and got stuff done, and she was really bright, but she was about herself. And, and you know what I did? I promoted her <laughs> because she got so much done. And, and the people on my team, thankfully, and some of them still work with me today, came to me and they said, 
you know, Pat, if, you, if you're going to promote her, then you have to change what you say your values are because she does not have those values. Mm-hmm. She's not about others. She's not a team player. And I realized that. I said, I have a, a decision to make, and I said, I've got to change this. Yes. So I worked with this woman and helped her find another job in another part of this larger organization that didn't mm-hmm. have our similar values. And she went on and did fine. But you know what mm-hmm. happened? The performance of the other employees in my department went through the roof when she was gone. No kidding. And it gets to what you were saying before. Is the, what's the cost? The opportunity cost of keeping a person who's not humble hmm. is that it destroys the motivation of all the other people. The performance of the people on your team goes through the roof when they know that you're serious about hiring people that are ideal team players. And when you tolerate people that aren't, you look at that person and you go, well, look at her output or his output. And you go, yeah, but what is it doing to everyone else's? Mm, that's exactly right. And there's nothing, I love the cut the crap name, there's nothing touchy-feely about this. Let's cut the crap. This is what makes an organization get more done in less time and want people to work there and be happy and really have high productivity. Absolutely. This is what it does. When they know that they're going to be rewarded for the right behaviors and organizations that think it's not about culture, it's about numbers, mm-hmm. morale goes down, productivity goes down, and they cannot sustain high performance. They just can't. That's right. the long term. And the beautiful thing that you know, maybe people out there in Cut the Crap Podcast Nation didn't necessarily catch, too. The beautiful thing that I truly loved about that was that the team held you accountable. But why? How could they hold you accountable? Well, it's because they knew what the values were, right? And by knowing what the values exactly. were and what aligned with the organization. Listen, no one's perfect. No, Nobody out there is perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. None of us are perfect. And we make mistakes. But the fact that we had these values, the people knew what, what, was, what was right and what was wrong, what aligned and what didn't align. And they kept you accountable, which yep. was so important. And, you know... That by itself is, 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 is power to an organization and power behind the culture as well. And it goes to, um, again, sell the importance of, of why having these, these ideal values is, is so critical for an organization. Yes, that's a great point. If you're not explicit, people can't use that to have conversations uh, yes. that address deviance. When I say deviance, I deviance from the values. And the problem is, I mean, because let's just say people didn't like this woman that I promoted. They, mm-hmm. It would have been really hard and probably inappropriate for them to go, why did you report her? We don't, why did you promote her? We don't like her. Right. But they could say, why did you promote her? You said you care about these things. She doesn't match them. That's a, very, that's a mm. far more objective conversation. Still difficult, but a lot more objective than saying, hey, we don't like her. That's exactly right. That's right. So now let's go to Golden Nugget. point you made. Let's go to Golden Nugget number three. So for people out there, again, Golden Nugget number three is all about interviewing new hires. So for the managers out there right now, Pat, who they're interviewing people, they're looking for new people to add to their team. They are having a difficult time here because now they're listening to this podcast and they're saying, oh my God, like, am I asking the right questions? What kind of characteristics do I need to look for? You're telling me I need to uh, best detect people who are humble and hungry and smart. So what kind of advice do you give to interviewers that need to be aware of those things? How can they better prepare themselves going into the interview? What kind of questions should they be asking? What what kind of help can you provide to them? Well, it gets to what you just said. Just being explicit about what you're looking for is critical. I mean, Mm. the truth of the matter is this is how most companies hire. They send out four or five people to interview a potential new hire, and they give them that person's resume. And they say, we're, high, we're looking for somebody that does coding or that does sales or marketing or whatever else. And then everybody goes and interviews them. And afterward, they go, what'd you think? <laughs> and people go, I liked her. Yep. I thought he was a good guy. I think he'd be good. And nobody <laughs> is quite sure what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And so, and we just got a, 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 an organization called us today. And we're doing a conference in January. And they signed up a bunch of their people. And they said, we've never met them. We've never worked with them. They said, we read the ideal team player. and We changed our hiring process. No they sit down and they say, when you interview people, ask questions that get at whether they're humble, hungry, and smart. We know how to look at their resume and to find out if they can do the job technically. But what we need are people that behaviorally match this. And the interview and the hiring process, we have to get at that. So then you go out and you send people out and you say, okay, if the five of us are going to interview, the first two people go out there and, and ask questions that get at Humble, Hungry, Smart. And in the back of the book, there's specific interview questions. And after the end of the first two interviews, go to the other people that are doing the interviews and say, both of us agree this person is really hungry. Mm-hmm. They have gone above and beyond. We just don't know about the other two. So why don't you guys focus on that? Uh-huh. And then the next two interviews go through and they go, yeah, definitely smart. Man, this, we, this person really gets it. Let's focus on humility. 
Mm-hmm. And then the last person goes in and focuses on that. And then pull that person in for an interview in front of all five of you hmm. and have a conversation. So I was, I'm looking at a guy out my window right now who we hired, and there was questions that we, we all got together to interview him at the end. Mm-hmm. And so we, there's five of us interviewing this guy. And at the end of the interview, we debriefed. And we said, wow. And somebody said, he answered that one question. It showed he didn't have humility. Mm. And another person said, yeah, I thought so too. And the other three people said, oh, no, that's not what he meant. In fact, it was the opposite. He was saying this. And, and they said, oh, you're right. We didn't know that. That's right. If you, you wow. got, that's true. Interesting. And we hired him. But if we hadn't all heard the same thing and had been in the same conversation, we would have whiffed on this guy. Wow. So the, 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 the message is, Go in there very specifically looking for those qualities and any other core behavioral values that you have. Make sure that people are debriefing with one another after interviews so they can send the next person in that much smarter. Mm-hmm. And then try doing interviews as a team so that you can actually see the same thing around the values and debrief in a more effective way. Fantastic. And then there's some other, there's some other specific things you can do. One sure. of the things, if you want to see if a person has these values – get them out of the office and interview them and see them in a, in a different environment. Hmm. You know, take them shopping, Interesting. take them to your kid's soccer game, soccer practice and, and help, have them help you set up the cones and, and run a couple drills. Hmm. See how they deal with people in a restaurant. Lots of people pretend wow. and practice how to interview in an office. But if you see people outside of the office, you're going to get a better sense. Hmm. Most of you, I've heard people say the best way to interview somebody is to take them on a cross-country flight, huh. and you'll know by the time you get back if you want to hire that person. Interesting. Yeah, well, you will. <laughs> that sounds expensive and time-consuming, <laughs> although if you think about it, it really, whatever it costs and however time it takes to hire the right person would be worth it. But here's the thing. If you can at least see somebody in a normal environment, I, I had a woman, a friend of mine, who had a company. And she hired somebody because they were desperate for somebody with a skill set. Hmm. They needed somebody that had a certain skills. And they found this woman who wanted to work for them. They interviewed her on the phone. They were already rooting for her because they needed her. They flew her out for some quick interviews, and they hired her. Hmm. A year later, they got rid of her, because it, and it took that long to do the process. They realized very early on that she wasn't right. But then they felt threatened and they had to take her through process of, of reviews and to avoid getting a lawsuit. They finally got rid of her after a year. They had to pay her extra money to avoid a lawsuit. They lost two of their best people because of her. Oof. And this woman said to me, Pat, and she said this all sincerely, if I had just taken her shopping, I'd have seen all the stuff we had to deal with. Right. If I'd just gone with her and walked through a mall and talked to a few clerks, I'd have said, this woman is not for us. Mm-hmm. But because all we did is we were focused on our technical skills and did a very cursory, very structured interview in the office like hmm. everybody does, That's we right. didn't see what we needed to see. No kidding. It's, it's very unorthodox. It's a little unorthodox. And people yeah. might, might say, oh, that's a little bit different. But I love it because it pulls them out of that. Because like you said... People can train themselves to interview very well. And I think we've all known people who can interview very well. But, you know, by seeing how they interact with people, seeing what they do when you take them outside of the office, that'll tell you a completely different story. And I like that. And it might be something that a lot of you out there in Cut the Crap Podcast Nation incorporate into some of your interview practices. Maybe you limit it down to a core number of people. And instead of having another interview where you sit down in the boardroom, maybe you do something a little bit different like Pat's recommending there. I truly love that one. Great takeaways. You know, I have... I have two really quick stories. Please. I love cut the crap. It's like, <laughs> let's just put this up. Um, one is uh, uh, the CEO, I think it was, of Charles Schwab used to take somebody. They, they wanted to interview people and see them outside of their environment. They used to do something very unorthodox. They would go to breakfast together. Mm. But the, the CEO would get there early, and he would tell their server, I want you to bring this guy the wrong – whatever oh. he orders, bring him the wrong thing. Wow, okay. And I want to see how he deals with it. <laughs> I like right. that. I like that. I did one even more unorthodox. I interviewed a woman. Now, she was a friend of a friend, so I don't recommend it, but I, <laughs> I knew her a little bit. Mm-hmm. But she came to my house to interview. My wife and I had just had twin boys, and she had a son that was six months older than ours. And, we, and I, I called her in, and I said, would you look at my son's penis? Is this normal? Because <laughs> I knew she had a boy. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so that's a good one, have, her, have somebody check out your son's penis. They, uh, they, were, two months, two, they were two months old, For so, sure, yeah. and I knew her. But anyway, right. there's an unorthodox interview for her. 
That's for you. So... She was like, yeah, this is normal. I think this is, yeah, I think he's fine. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. But again, it's getting people outside of their comfort zone. And I think it's yeah. interesting, but, but it's even that, pushing them outside their comfort zone to see who they truly are as people. Because sometimes it's this idea of authenticity where we like to put up this facade. Yes. And, and I could even say that even if you're at a restaurant, I mean, if I'm interviewing for a job with a high-level CEO and I really want to impress them, I might try to put on a happy face and be extra nice and and what have you. Um, you know, But by giving them different scenarios that might disrupt them a little bit, you'll get to see the real person in terms of how they react. And that essentially is the objective. So again, while unorthodox, I'm telling you, it's probably extremely effective because you're going to get past that facade that maybe people put up, right? What do they say? I, I don't know what that quote is exactly, but you know, everyone has different faces, you know, the face that they leave for their family, the face they leave for the workplace, the face that's true to them, you know, and by taking away some of those, those, those facades, those, those curtains that we put up, It'll allow us to see the real person underneath, which sometimes takes, you know, months, even years to sometimes see. And if you're not able to find that, like you said, it could be a very expensive process, especially when you find oh. out that they, they aren't aligned to to and they weren't the person they, that you thought they were originally when you hired them. You know, ask your and, and, and when they come in for the interview, ask the person at the reception desk. And it'd be great if it's even somebody else like, how did they treat you and how did they act and what did you think? Right. Yeah. What was your vibe that you got from that? Because they're probably not, nec- not, they might not be all the way on yet, mm-hmm. and those people might see them. It's actually funny you say that because that's actually the truth. Uh, that happened one time where we were hiring somebody at one of my client organizations and uh, interviewed very well, very nice, very charming. But they re- really acted that way with people of in positions of power. But people who are in you know administrative positions or or, or other, oh. uh, they they just treated them like garbage. And we did not know that until afterwards. This person said, "Oh my God, this person's interviewing again." They were incredibly rude to me, and all of a sudden it was just we were completely floored, and we had no idea. But then after learning that and asking a few other people if they saw the same thing, it was like, "No, this person you know just reacts very well with people of power, but not very well with other people who you know maybe don't have a lot of." power in the organization and funny thing is how ironic the people who are admin positions have a lot of power still and that was the reason why we didn't end up hiring them so you know power is all relative and and and, and you know just because yeah. you have a position that's an admin position doesn't mean you don't have power right we're all on the same team and together as a team we work together and that to me is power this idea of togetherness and when we're all oh, aligned yeah. working in the same direction there's nothing more powerful than that and that's the skillful politician. I love that you said that because that person, this was a person that was going to turn it on for those that he oh, or right. she thought that's was right. important. Yes. And that's what a skillful politician, I would right. rather impl- somebody who was a little bit rude to the receptionist and equally rude to the interviewer. <laughs> that's right. That would be better. Because <laughs> then you go, okay, we got to work on that rudeness. <laughs> that's right. But the other person is going to hide it. <laughs> uh-huh. Very dangerous. Very uh, dangerous. Yeah. So now let's go to golden nugget number four. We have evaluating current employees. So now for managers out there who they want to determine if they have employees who are humble, hungry, and people smart, what do they need to do? They're trying to figure it out. They're saying, you know, I have great people on my team, but now I'm listening to the podcast and I'm reading the book and now I need to sit down and evaluate my own people to see what they have. What do they need to do, Pat? I think the best way to do it is to sit down. I've done this with a lot of teams. It's to sit down with them and you go through what the definitions of this are and understand humble, hungry, smart. And then say to everybody on the team, okay, I want to know what, which of these three things you're best at, second best at, and third best at. Hmm. And, and so in other words, I'm not telling you that to, I'm not, I, I don't want to rate you. I want you to rank yourself humble, hungry, and smart. Interesting. And, and, and everybody's got a third. And that's what I really want to know is what people think their third is. Now, I've done this with so many teams, and I thought there were some of them that nobody would admit was their third. But I'm shocked. When you, t- when you ask people to evaluate themselves and you let them know, I'm not saying you're bad at it, but everybody's got a third, people are willing to say whatever it is. Hmm. They're like, I mean, I had a bunch of 12-year-old lacrosse players <laughs> in a room. I've done it with 20-year-old lacrosse players in my son's college. And, um, but I, and I've also done it with executives at all levels. And people will say, oh, yeah, I'm not a humble. Oh, yeah, hmm. I, I'm, I'm, I know that's my issue. I'm not humble. And other people are like, yeah, I'm, I don't think that much smart about people. I really step in it sometimes. And other people are like, yeah, I, sometimes I don't go over. I don't like the, on, the, on the lacrosse <laughs> team, one kid said, I'm not humble. I want to score a lot of goals. And when I do, I celebrate. I don't really think the kid who passed me the ball. Hmm. I was like, wow, you're more evolved than some of the leaders. <laughs> no I kidding. <laughs> Another kid, 
my own son said, I need to be hungrier because I don't go home and do that throwing against – I'm supposed to do some throwing on my own, okay. and I, I just do what I'm supposed to do at practice. And another kid said, I'm not smart. I yell at people on, during games, hmm. and it makes them mad. It frustrates them, and it just makes – and I thought, this is wow. crazy. No kidding. And so – and then once people say what their third is, you say, let's, let's put yourselves into groups, and let's brainstorm about how you might be able to work on that. Wow. And the humble people – the people that lack humility get together and say, you know – we need to ask other people questions about their stuff. We need to take an interest in other people's lives. We can't always talk about ourselves. We need mm. to give other people a little bit more oxygen at meetings. Wow. And people are like, that would be huge if you did that. They're like, oh, yeah, I could, I'll do that. But you guys need to hold me accountable. Yeah. And then yeah. the hungry guy goes, the guy that lacks hunger says, you know, I, I know I cut out of the office. I like doing stuff. So my social life's busy. I leave when I get my work done. I don't check in with everybody else. Sometimes mm. I don't do the little extra that I need to do. And, and, and they're like, okay, we'll call you on it when we see you do that. Wow. Like, Please. Huh. The other ones, I'm not smart. You know, you guys know that I say things that ruffle your feathers. When I do that, please just say, hey, you know, that made me feel bad. You probably didn't mean it. And they, they're like, please let me know whenever I do that. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, your team is not only a team, it's a group of coaches mm-hmm. who have been given permission, not even permission, but they've been exhorted to call each other out of love and, and help to help one another get better. Wow. Powerful. Every day at work is going to be a, powerful. a natural, powerful mm-hmm. coaching yes. for people on the team. What a great thing that is. No kidding. It's funny. As you were talking there, this realization just popped in my head that I didn't have before until we started talking now, but I, I always played this so so five dysfunctions the ideal team player i always put it from the perspective of of business of business of business but then as you started talking about the lacrosse team i said holy crap like in my head as you were talking right now like this applies to parents and their kids and these are values ideals that you can start teaching your kids and i'm sure with your kids i love the story that you told me about your kid telling you you know you got to keep your son accountable i remember that from the last podcast and it made me laugh right but again as you're telling me about this this these lacrosse players these young kids who are already taking these these values and they're 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 evaluating their own lives against it man as parents out there this is exciting too just to pick up the book to read this to understand what these values are and start ingraining that in your children right now it's going to help them to become far more successful um when they grow up and, it, and the team you're, you're you're a family unit as well there's the family team that works together too but by planting these seeds yeah. early on man does that create a powerful individual i love that pat yeah. i truly love that you know, one of the things, so I, two things about that is a great insight. So I'm writing a book about this for young people, for, for middle schoolers, mm. about, about humble, hungry, and smart. Because nice. they're, they're, they're in that place in life where they're, they're all focused. The people are like, what are your grades? What, what team yeah, did you make? And right. all this other stuff. It's like, man, focus on being humble, hungry, and smart. And whatever your GPA is, do the best you can. But don't stress because life, success in life in all realms is going to be much better on humble, hungry, and smart. And we want teachers and coaches to incorporate this. Yes. The other thing I should tell you is that today, this afternoon, this is crazy that it's happening today, <laughs> um, about nine, eight or nine of the young men that work for us at our headquarters at the table group are sons. Mm. We're doing it for boys first because boys learn with boys. We'll do one for the girls mm-hmm. as well. But the, all the ladies said, I want you to talk to my son. So we have my, I have four sons, yeah. and then we have like seven other kids, so maybe it's, it's over ten, um, are going to come in and we're going to be talking to them about humble, hungry, and smart. Awesome. And we have a 24-year-old. Awesome. He's an EMT. And we have a 12-year-old. Wow. And then we've got teenagers, college students, high school students, middle schoolers. That's cool. And we're going to talk to each other about humble, hungry, and smart. That is so cool. Again, parents out there, these elements here, they are not just for business. And I know a lot of my friends who tune in and they listen to this on a regular basis and some of them might tune out certain business podcasts, but I'm telling you, like, this is just human skills, man. They're they're so important. So important to start planting these seeds nice and early. And the fact that you're even doing that today is is very, very cool. I love that. Truly love that. Yeah. So now we get down to the last golden nugget, golden nugget number five, which is self-development. Now, we've talked about bringing on new employees who are ideal team players. We've talked about evaluating employees who, you know, fit the mold. They don't fit the mold. But now it's time to really turn the magnifying glass on ourselves as managers. So how do we do that? How do we determine if we're ideal team players? What kind of advice can you give to the managers out there who are listening to this right now? Well, the first is purify your intentions and really want to get better. If you don't want to get better, you're not going to be honest. But if you really do, sit down and say, listen, I want to know which of these I need to work on, both because I want to get better and I want to set a 
an example for the rest of my team. And so sit down and, and analyze yourself. Talk to your spouse. Talk to your friends. T- talk to your team. And come to the conclusion and start by saying to them, listen, you guys, I, here's what you've told me. Here's what I, what I think. These are my, my, where I stand on the three areas. I want to ask you to coach me first. I want to give you complete permission to call me whenever you see me violating one of these things. Mm. And if you go first, again, they're going to be That's your right. best coaches. Think about that with those, the people on my team who called me when I, when I promoted that one. Nice. I mean, they made a complete difference in my life and my career and in my retention of them. And many of them still work for me 24 years later. Wow. Wow. And, but if, if they hadn't called me on that, I wouldn't have been better. Mm. And, and my team does this. <laughs> we were in a meeting yesterday, and she wasn't even upset. We were arguing about something, and we were very passionate. And, and, and one of the people who founded the company with me looked at me and said, you look kind of crazy. <laughs> and we laughed. She said, your face is kind of red, and your eyes are all wide. And she wasn't even criticized. She was like, you look kind of crazy right now. <laughs> and we laughed about how we do that to each other. Yeah. And what an environment. We make better decisions. Mm-hmm. We enjoy coming to work. We become better people. Mm. So I need to demonstrate that first as a leader. I have to go to them and say, I will be the guinea pig. Mm. You guys can call me on this. I'm going to tell you what I think. And that demonstrates humility, mm-hmm. hunger for getting better, and emotional intelligence to say, I know that I'm not perfect. Mm. And that, without that, it's going to be tough for people to do it. But the leader has to go first. Very true. Very true. We did talk about that briefly on Five Dysfunctions on the other episode there. But, yes. Um, you know, as, as we wrap this up, you know, I think there's maybe one question out there that Cut the Crap Podcast Nation might be asking. It's on the top of my head right now. And what do you do for the person who does have two out of the three? Is it possible to attain all three? Is it possible to train yourself to have all three? Is having self-awareness enough to get you to, to, to attain all three? What do you do if you're in that position? You say, you know, there's people who have two of the three. Can we train them to get the third? Or I only have two of the three. Can I train to become to, to gain the third? What do you say to those people out I there? Think the, my answer is yes. But you have to want to and you have to be willing to, to recognize that it's going to come at, at some suffering. Hmm. I mean, it's going to be hard. But here's the thing. So self-awareness and then the willingness to admit it to others and the, and the willingness to let them call you on it, I think anybody can get better. That's right. Um, and, and here's the thing. I mean, I'm just thinking about this in real time. These are great questions. I love the cousin. Let's do this once a month. We should, man. Uh, I have to write, keep writing books just to get on the <laughs> But the, the thing is this. Even if a person doesn't make quite as much progress, the fact that the team knows it and calls them on it makes it so much easier oh, to yeah. deal with them. Oh, yeah. You know? I mean, imagine that I, I'm not emotionally intelligent. It's just I'm really, I struggle with it. But I go to meetings and I go, well, that's a stupid idea. And people go, hey, hey, you're not supposed to say that. And that's I go, right. oh, you're right. I did it again. <laughs> Just the fact that we can, we can put it out there mm-hmm. makes it more dealable. Now, very few people are not going to improve when they get called on it like that. Of course. Yeah. But even if they don't get great at it, the fact that they all know. I mean, even a braggy person can come to a meeting and say something. People go, oh, that was one of those humble brags, wasn't it? And they go, yeah, I did it again. And suddenly you're like, I kind of feel sorry for them, but I, you can kind of whap them on the nose like mm-hmm. with a newspaper like a puppy. Yeah. You know? That's right. But as long as they'll take it and they're open about it, the capacity of the team to, to make that team work mm. is going to go up um, Exponentially, of course. Now, yeah. I think most people will eventually get better. You know what happens? Here, let me tell you one last thing about sure. managers. Managers, the most, this is maybe the most important thing I've learned in, in 25 years of consulting and business. And that is, if a manager will constantly remind an employee of their defects, hmm. if a manager will say, hey, we've agreed that you're not good at this, I will call you on it every time I see you doing it. It's almost always going to lead to a person get better, or mm-hmm. it's going to lead to the second best thing, which is that person saying, you know, I can't get better, and this is not who I am, and I need to leave and work someplace where I don't have to be like this. That's right. Both of those are actually acceptable. The mm-hmm. best case scenario, they get better. Second best. They leave on their own, but they know they were given a shot, and they need to find someplace they fit. The, the worst thing is if they, if they don't leave, they quit and stay. I'm staying, but I'm not improving. The problem is if we don't constantly remind somebody, they're not going to improve or, or decide to leave. They're just going to languish and suffer and cause everybody else to suffer. 
the problem is leaders don't like to remind people. Here's how it works for me. I'll just tell you. I'm, I'm a wuss as a manager. I, I'm working on it. So I see somebody on my team, let's say Cody, who I could see earlier, and I say, Cody, you need to be hungrier, right? Mm-hmm. And so the first time I see him do something, I, I call him on it in the media. I'm like, Cody, that you clearly didn't take this further than you could have. That's that hunger thing. You've got to get better at that. He's like, oh, yeah, okay, I'll do that. Mm-hmm. The next time I see him do that, I go right to my wife and mm-hmm. I tell her. <laughs> the next time I go right to my colleagues and I vent about Cody. That's right. Yeah. Because I don't want to have the conversation with Cody. It's going to be uncomfortable. I told him once, and then I'm giving him a bad performance review or I'm letting him go or I'm mad at him. Mm. And he's like, what's going on? And I'm like, well, you're still not doing that. And he's like, well, you didn't tell me. Mm. I told you that one time. <laughs> but it's... if for three or four weeks in a row, I remind him, he is probably going to get better because the pain is too great. Or he's going to go, Pat, you know something? I know you need this. I don't think I'm right for the job. Mm, that's right. That's right. If we would only have the courage and the discipline to stay on top of people in a loving way about what they need to do, you're going to give them a chance to improve. Mm. The ideal team player. How to recognize and cultivate the three essential virtues by my friend Pat Lincioni. And I'm telling you, Pat, it's always a pleasure having you on the show and talking to you. And Especially these last two books, uh, The Ideal Team Player, Five Dysfunctions, they are foundational, foundational. Go back over Cut the Crap Podcast Nation, listen to this episode again, take notes, go back and listen to Five Dysfunctions, pick up the books, because I'm telling you, these are so important. And I'm not just saying that because you're on the show, Pat, but um, because they are absolutely critical, absolutely critical. And I'm telling you, man, it's always fun having you on the show, man. We have such great energy. It's a blast. It's really fun. You you ask great questions, and I love the... You really, you really live the cut the crap thing. You get right to the essence of it. Like, what are we walking away with? So I love it. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. You know what? You got a conference coming up, and I know that people out there might be interested in that. So why don't you give us a quick plug on the conference? Tell us what it's about, when it is, and how people can get involved. Yeah, after 20 years of people saying, when are we going to be able to come and spend time with you and listen to these things and meet other people who like this stuff? And we finally decided to do it after 20 years. So in Dallas in January um, – the, at the 16th, 17th, and 18th, it's two and a half days, mm-hmm. we're going to be having what we call the unconference. We're going to try to do everything different. It's not going to be a lot of keynotes. It's not going to be stuffy. It's going to be very informal, lots of participation. And that's going to be in Dallas, uh, me, and we've got some incredible guests coming that we're going to be interviewing and awesome. talking to, like uh, Alan Mullally, the guy who turned around the Ford Motor Company. Mm-hmm. We're going to have the CEO of Southwest Airlines there, some, the president of Chick-fil-A. Awesome. Some really neat companies, awesome. and uh, and and so and it's almost full. We can't believe it. Wow! So, uh, Already, so check it eh? out if you want to come. Yeah, we thought we were like, what are we going to do? And then now we're like, oh my gosh, we don't have enough spots. <laughs> That's a good problem to have, <laughs> though. <laughs> it is. We'll take it. We'll take it. So check it out on our website at tablegroup.com if you'd like to attend. Perfect. Wonderful. Well, again, Pat, thank you so much for making time for myself and for everyone out there in Cut the Crap Podcast Nation. It's always a pleasure talking to you, my friend. For me too. God bless. All right, there we have it. That's Pat Lincioni. Man, I love getting Pat on the show. Seriously, it's such great energy, and I, I just love talking to the man. Love talking to the man, and I hope he keeps writing books because I want to keep getting him back on the show. <laughs> Anyways, that is the ideal team player, how to recognize and cultivate the three essential virtues. If you love this episode, then please go online, rate, and review the show. All you got to do is send me a screen capture of that rating, of that review, and I'll make sure you get into the draw every quarter for a prize. In this quarter's prize, we're doing a quick little giveaway here, a quick $500 gift certificate to Amazon. So I'm going to be giving that away in a couple weeks' time. So get your entries in. If you've already entered yourself in, don't worry about it. You're entered in every single quarter moving forward. Also, don't forget to connect with me on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. Connect with me on all of those things. And last but not least, if you want a summary of this episode, then please go online to cutthecrappodcast.com. And at the very top there, you'll see summaries. Give me your first name, last name, email address, and I'll make sure you get into into the uh, mailing list to get those summaries every single week. All right, my friends, that is a wrap for this week. So thank you so much to all of you for tuning in again this week. Your attention is valuable, and I know how much is fighting for your attention, so the fact that you give me your attention means so much to me. So thank you so much for that. I do not take that for granted. But until next week, my friends, I will be back here with a brand new book, brand new Golden Nuggets, an interview with an author, and you know what I'm doing here every single week. It's trying to save you a little bit of time and bring you some information that can spark real change in your life. Have a fantastic, productive, inspired week, everybody. I love you all.
Some days, of course, I'll get tired. Some days, I will get beat up. Some days, I will get knocked down and I will have some bad days. But I will not stop. This isn't punch the clock and go home for the day. Here, there's no such thing as a weekend. This is an everyday gig. Every day is a Monday. And you might not like that. Me, I love it. To me, every day is a beginning. A new day, a new week, a new shot at life. An opportunity to come out of the gate like a man possessed and attack the day without mercy. Today, I'm putting the pressure on. I am the aggressor. I am on the attack. You don't get this far. You don't get to this point and just stop. People that succeed quit quitting when things get hard. Any path you take to get where you want to be, if that place is worthwhile to go, it's going to be hard. Struggle, pain, misery, frustration, those are signs that you are on the right path. Nobody that is where you want to be has gotten there without these struggles, without the pain. And if you want to be something great, you are going to have to learn to accept the struggle as part of the recipe. Every single day you need to look yourself in the mirror and ask yourself, what am I willing to do to get what I want? And if the answer is, whatever the fuck I have to, you'll get there in time. It's necessary you take responsibility for it. That you make it happen, that you don't give up, that you don't take any objection or disappointment or defeats personally. That you keep on keeping on, that you don't decide that I can't make it because you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. That you realize that's a part of the program. See, as long as you breathe, you got a shot at your dream. And here's something you've got to resolve. Not over till I get through. Not over till I get over. Not over till I get what I want. Y'all can't open today, look out. I'm gonna come back and take the hinges off. That's, that's how you gotta do that. You got to have that kind of courage, that type of determination. If you want to make it happen, it's you. But you've got to take personal responsibility to make it happen. We can point out many things that can make it inconvenient or can slow us down. But ultimately, it's you.